Well, welcome this morning. I'm, I'm glad to be filling in for Pastor today. Um, this morning's message is not your typical sermon. And I'll tell you how this came to be. This was a study that I embarked upon a number of years ago. And I put together kind of a, a slideshow with it. And I actually presented this in one of our Zoom prayer meetings several weeks ago. So maybe some of you have already seen this. But um, I presented this morning for two reasons. One, um, during the evening that I presented this on our Zoom prayer, my, uh, prayer meeting on Wednesday night, Pastor and Angie were got in on the tail end of it, and he said to me, the next time you preach, I have you preach for me, I want you to present that. So I said, okay, I will. And the second reason I present this is because this is a battle that you and I face every single day. And the subject is dying to self. Now, I don't know about you. I think I can speak for you when I say that you fight this every day because I know I fight this every day. Dying to self. But first, a parable. Once upon a time, there was a young pastor. This young pastor had been leading his congregation for about two years. And suddenly one day he realized that he did not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, if you're like me, you're saying, boy, that's pretty sad, right? He's been a pastor for two years. Well, he felt the same way, so he decided that he would go to an older, more experienced pastor friend, a mentor of his, to find out how to get a personal relationship with Jesus. So he went to his friend and he asked this simple question, how can I be saved? Well, his pastor friend gave him the response, you must have a new life from above. So he asked, a little puzzled, but how do I do that exactly? And the response was given, you have to take hold of, reach out your hand and take a hold of God's hand. But how do I do that exactly, he asked. And the answer came back, you have to fall on the rock and be broken. Well, what exactly does that mean? He continued. His friend responded, it means you have to behold the lamb. Well, how do I do that when I can't actually see him? He asked. By looking through the eyes of faith. Well, but how do I do that? He asked. By surrendering your will to him. Well, needless to say, that the young pastor did not come away from the conversation with a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, the point of the parable is to illustrate that sometimes we have these catchphrases and we have these things that just roll off of our tongues that have some meaning to us but might not have meaning to someone else who is not at our spiritual stage. Here's one that we are very familiar with. We must die to self. 
Now, what does that mean? How is it accomplished in our lives? That's what we all want to know, right? How is it that we die to self? How do we fight this battle day in and day out? And what is the difference between dead to sin and dead in sin? That's what we're going to embark upon this morning. I draw this morning upon two inspired writers. We will feature the writings of Paul, and we will supplement those writings with the inspired writings of Ellen G. White. Now, I say that to say that as the remnant church, I believe in the inspired writings of the spirit of prophecy, Ellen White. I don't believe in utilizing her writings as a substitute for the Bible, but I like to call it a supplement. And I believe that she has given much counsel to help us in our daily struggles and our daily journeys, especially in this subject of we must die to self. Our first passage this morning is going to come from the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Now you're going to see a lot of, um, a lot of slides on the screen today because I don't want you to miss any of it, right? Especially those who watch. I didn't want you to miss any of it. Of course, you can turn in your Bibles, but the passages will be there on the screen as well. And then I will offer a little commentary as we go through the passages. Ephesians chapter 2 and beginning at verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James, and you will see New King James on the screens this morning. And it says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now, if, if you're one of these folks who has the original King James, you will see the word quicken in there. And quicken just means to make alive or revitalized brothers and sisters the fact is that we all at one time were dead in our sins even if you were raised in church and grew up in church every sabbath or for others maybe every sunday whichever every every time the doors were open you were there there had to come a point when you realized that you needed a savior and I hope that each one watching today and in the sound of my voice has realized, as I have, that I need a Savior. And we were, before we came to that Savior, we were dead in our sins and trespasses against God. And during this time, Paul says, we were walking just like all the others who walked in disobedience. And we served that same Spirit that works in those now who are disobedient to him. He goes on in verse 4. Verse 4, verse 3, I'm sorry. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. He says... 
We all used to live just like they are. And our lives express the evil, the evil that was within us first. And this evil caused us to do every wicked thing that our passions or our wicked thoughts led us into. And he goes on to say that we were on our way to suffering God's wrath because of our spiritual natures, which we are all born with. But the next two words are wonderful. But God... Amen. But God. God always has the last word, doesn't he? Amen. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved through faith. Amen. You know, God was so rich in love and mercy that he was willing to give us life again. To bring us back from that spiritual death. And he has raised us up and given us opportunity to be with Christ in the heavenly places. Take a look at this quote from Review and Herald dated 03-31-1904. I drew a blank there for a moment. January, February, March. March the 31st, 1904. It says this. As God raised Christ from the dead, that he might bring life and immortality to light through the gospel and thus save his people from their sins, so Christ has raised fallen human beings to spiritual life, quickening them with his life and filling their hearts with hope and joy. Have you experienced that in your life? I know I have. Oh, praise the Lord for his quickening, for, for resurrecting us out of this sinful life that we, that we uh, had beforehand. Now, every so often, I'm going to show you a slide that has a conclusion, and I want you to remember the conclusions that we are drawing based upon what we see the, this, uh, today. Our first conclusion is this. Dead men and women no longer walk according to their flesh, but after God's Spirit. Can you say amen? Is that what you're doing every day in your life? I hope so. That's what God wants for us, right? God wants us to walk in His Spirit, not in the flesh. Let's go on. We're going to the book of Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 which is actually our scripture reading for today. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, and it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Indeed, we have been crucified with Christ. Have you been crucified with Christ? Amen. Will you say that with me? I'm going to count to three and we're all going to say, I have been crucified with Christ. Ready? One, two, three. I have been crucified with Christ. But aren't you glad he didn't leave us that way? Amen. I like that the original King James Version has this word in there. Nevertheless. Nevertheless, what does that mean? Nevertheless, it means be that as it may, or however, or even so, 
or even having said that, nevertheless, I live. I am very much alive because Christ lives in me. It is still this body that lives, yes, but the spirit that is in me is from Jesus Christ, he's saying. And to him be all the glory. He is what drives me on. He is what guides me along in this journey. He is the source of all that I have and all that I need. And everything I am and ever will be is because of him. That is what Paul is saying. Look at this passage from Review and Herald, October 19th, 1897. When the Apostle Paul through the revelation of Christ, was converted from a persecutor to a Christian, he declared that he was one born out out of due time. Henceforward, Christ was all and in all to him. For me to live is Christ, he declared. This is the most perfect interpretation in a few words in all the scriptures of what it means to be a Christian. This is the whole truth of the gospel. Paul understood what, it, what many seem unable to comprehend. How intensely his earnest what he was, in earnest he was. His words show that his mind was centered in Christ. That his whole life was bound up with his Lord. Christ was the author, the support, and the source of his life. Amen. Can you say that about yourself today? Do you have such a dependent upon Jesus Christ, dependence upon Jesus Christ that you depend on him and your life is wrapped up in everything from him? What is our conclusion for this particular passage? It is this. Dead men and women depend on Christ for all things. Can you say amen? From the smallest little thing to the biggest thing, In our lives, if we will depend upon Jesus Christ, he will never fail us. He will never let us down. And when we and we can say, like Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. Let's take a look at our next one from the book of Romans, chapter six, Romans, chapter six, verses three and four. Let's talk about baptism for a moment. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in... What's the next words? newness of life he says when we became christians we began to take part in the death to self just as jesus did did jesus die to self yes he sure did and how often did jesus die to self daily and how often should you and i be dying to self daily right every moment of every day dying to self and then he says in, in, in today's modern vernacular, through his physical death and through your spiritual death, the power of your sinful nature has been destroyed. Your sin-leavened nature was buried with him by baptism when he died. And when God the Father with glorious power brought him to life again, 
You were given his wonderful new life to enjoy. Not a rebuilt life, not a patched up life, not a life mended in some way, but a new life. Amen. Hallelujah. I hope that we're, each of us are walking in newness of life every day. Take a look at this from early writings, page 113. <clears throat> this is a little long, but it's good. I'm telling you, it's good stuff. Many who profess the name of Christ and claim to be looking for his speedy coming know not what it is to suffer for Christ's sake. Their hearts are not subdued by grace, and they are not dead to self, as is often shown in various ways. At the same time, they are talking of having trials. Oh, listen to this next statement. I'm telling you, it's going to step on your toes. It does mine. But the principal cause of their trials is what? An unsubdued heart. Wow. Which makes self so sensitive that it is often crossed. If such could realize what it is to be a humble follower of Christ, a true Christian, they would begin to work in good earnest and begin right. They would first die to self, then be instant in prayer, and check every passion of the heart. Give up your self-confidence and self-sufficiency, brethren, and follow the meek pattern. Ever keep Jesus in your mind, that he is your example, and you must tread in his footsteps. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the same, the shame. He endured the contradiction of sinners against himself. He, for our sins, was once the meek, slain lamb, <clears throat> wounded, bruised, smitten, and afflicted. Amen. Looking unto Jesus, the author. Have you ever taken your eyes off of Jesus for a little while? Oh, yeah, it happens to us sometimes, doesn't it? Some kind of, some emotion takes over and grabs a hold of us, and we have, or we start to think or reason or surmise, or, oh, Lord, help us, please. Help us to keep our eyes firmly fixed upon Jesus, the author. Not only the author, the author means that you start something, and he's the finisher of our faith. Praise the Lord for that. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Paul says, If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are where? Above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things, he says it again, above, right? Not on things of the earth. For you died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. What is he saying here? He's saying, are you risen with Christ? If you are, then you should set your sights on things that are above. Not on, on the thing, gaining the things of heaven, not on earthly things. And my friends, I'm here to tell you, and you know this as well as I do, that there are lots of things in this earth that the Satan, Satan wants to draw our attention from. And pull our eyes away from what is heavenly to what is earthly what is worldly he is saying if you are risen with christ you should fall in love with heavenly things not earthly things 
And if you are truly dead to self, then you should desire this world at about as much as a dead man does. Your real life is with Christ in God. And what is our conclusion for this particular passage? It is this. Dead men and women will behold Jesus in all things. Amen? Amen. The author and finisher of our faith. Don't ever forget that. Oh, I love this passage from Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Do you get the sense that Paul knew where he was headed, right? He knew. But he says with confidence, I know my salvation is sure because you're praying for me and because the Holy Spirit supplies all of my needs. And he says, my hope and my prayer that I I will never be ashamed of the trials that I'm going through down here. He says, I hope that I will always be ready to boldly speak for Christ. And in fact, he says, I want Christ to be magnified in my life, whether I live or whether I die. Because he says, if I live, I get to serve Christ more. But if I die, my reward is sure. I hope that each of us can say that in our lives today. Whether I live or whether I die, Christ be glorified. What is our conclusion? Our conclusion is this. Dead men and women are winners whether they live or whether they die. Amen? If we are hid with Christ in God, if we are truly born again, we live whether we, we win whether we live or whether we die. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Going the wrong way. First Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 24. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, <clears throat> if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body, On the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. What is Peter saying? He says we get no credit for being patient when we're punished for doing wrong. 
But if we are doing right and we receive the world's buffeting and we remain patient through it, God is well pleased. And he says this suffering is all part of the work that God has given us to do. Christ suffered for you and for me and he is our example and we should follow in his steps. And then he goes on to say, Christ never sinned. He never said anything bad or dishonest or hurtful. And he never answered back when insulted. And he never threatened to get even. He put it all in his father's hands. And he personally carried the load of our sins in his own body and died on the cross. So that we can be done with sin. And live a good life from here on out. His wounds have healed our wounds. How beautiful is that? Oh, listen to this one. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 16. This is powerful. It is the love of self that destroys our peace. While self is all alive, we stand ready, ready continually to guard it from mortification and insult. But when we are dead, <clears throat> our life is hid with Christ in God. We shall not take neglects or slights to heart. We shall be deaf to reproach and blind to scorn and insult. That's powerful, isn't it? But it steps on our toes again. What is our conclusion for this? It is simply this. Dead men and women do not get their feelings hurt. Isn't that right? Think about it. If you are dead, spiritually speaking, you can't get your feelings hurt. That is what we are saying. And it's a tall order for us. Yes, we understand. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to accomplish these things and to take these words into our hearts and our lives. That's right, exactly. Let's go to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, beginning at verse 10. But why do you judge? Verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account to himself to God, of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. What is Paul saying? He says, because we are all saved because of Christ. But he's talking to these people and he says, but why are you judging those people who are not at the same point as you are? Everyone, thank you for that story earlier, my love. Everyone is equal in the eyes of God. And everyone will, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you have to give account for yourself, not for someone else. So he's cautioning us, stop passing judgment on each other. And stop putting hindrances in front of your brother or your sister and causing them <clears throat> to stumble. 
an article from Review and Herald, December the 13th, 1906, says this. My dear brethren and sisters, God is not pleased with a spirit of criticism and fault-finding. We must humble our hearts daily before God and seek for a new conversion that we may be brought into right relationship with Jesus Christ. Those who are striving to keep the commandments of God ought, it, ought to be in harmony and to show a spirit of humility and love. God is not in any of the differences God is not in any of the differences that are so apparent. He does not inspire words of fault-finding. He is now calling upon us to humble ourselves under the hand of the Almighty in order that He may lift us up. Question. If God does not inspire words of fault-finding, who does? We know, right? Here's another one from Manuscript 21, page 35. Oh boy, this is, this is powerful. Many people have never yet been converted before their old self-indulgent habits have been brought with them into the church. They were not dead to self when they observed the ordinance of baptism. They were buried alive. And they have remained full of murmuring, full of fault-finding, hating the messages that come to them through the Lord's servants because of what? The wickedness of their hearts. In the church, can that be? Oh, have mercy is right. What is our conclusion for these passages? Dead men and women will not practice criticism and fault finding. Mm, I didn't get too many amens on that one. I know the Lord is working on you. I know he's telling you that you shouldn't do that as he tells me. I shouldn't do that whenever I do that. Praise the Lord for his Holy Spirit. Who comes to us and says, you shouldn't be thinking that way. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have even looked at that person that way. Praise the Lord for his Holy Spirit. Let's talk about our tongues for a moment. James chapter 1 and verse 26. Yeah, come on. James chapter 1 and verse 26. A small passage here. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is what? Useless. What is James saying? He says, if you see yourself as pious or religious or deeply spiritual and yet you can't keep control of your own tongue, you are deceiving yourselves. And furthermore, your religion is useless. Now, I have no doubt that this following quote was aimed at someone specific when she shared it, but it applies to all of us today. Testimonies, volume 2, page 420. It's either 424 or 425. I, have, I see one thing on the screen. I have a different thing in my notes, but it's around in there. We could find it if we needed to. You have repeatedly said, I can't keep my temper. I have to speak. You lack a meek, humble spirit. 
Self is all alive, and you stand guard continually to preserve it from mortification or insults. Says the apostle, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Those who are dead to self will not feel so readily and will not be prepared to resist everything which may irritate. Dead men cannot feel. But you are not dead, she is saying to this individual. If you were and your life were hid in Christ, a thousand things which you now notice, which afflict you, would be passed by as unworthy of notice. You would then be grasping the eternal and would be above the petty trials of this life. And what is our conclusion? It is simply this. Dead men and women will have tough skin. You know what that means, right? To have tough skin? What are sayings that we use? Water off a duck's back or, you know, things like that. We cannot, we can't take people's words at us that are fired at us who are, yes, are sometimes wicked darts, right? <clears throat> People say things. They hurt us, they, whether they intentionally or, or just accidental. People say things, do things that hurt us. But if we are hid with Christ in God, there's a passage, I didn't have it in my notes, but there's a passage where she, Mrs. White, talks about every dart that comes at you and lands on you has come through Christ first. Mm. That means he has allowed it to strengthen you and to toughen your spiritual character. Staying there in the book of James chapter 1 and verse 5. says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. What is James saying? If you need wisdom, and we all do, you only need to ask God because he gives liberally. But you have to ask in faith, without doubting, or else you will be likened to a boat on a stormy sea. And if you doubt that God can or will do anything, then you shouldn't expect your prayer to be answered. Since there is no reward for double-mindedness. I know many of us here today know about faith and have seen God working. Think about the ministry of 3ABN and the faith stories. Hundreds of them, no doubt, maybe thousands of them have been told about faith reaching out and taking a hold of what God says is, and it comes to pass because God said it would. <clears throat> Look at this passage from Christ's Object Lessons, page 47. Many receive the gospel as a way of escape and from suffering rather than as a deliverance from sin. They rejoice for a season, for they think that religion will free them from difficulty and trial. 
That's not the case, is it, brothers and sisters? No, it's not the case. We know. While life moves smoothly with them, they may appear to be consistent Christians. But then they faint beneath the fiery test of temptation. They cannot bear reproach for Christ's sake. When the Word of God points out some cherished sin or requires self-denial or sacrifice, they are offended. It would cost them too much effort to make a radical change in their life. They look at the present inconvenience and trial and they forget the eternal realities. Like the disciples who left Jesus, they are ready to say, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Mm. What is our conclusion? We have two conclusions. Our first is this. Dead men and women will be firm and steadfast. Amen? Amen. Asking God without doubting. No doubt many of us here today have loved ones that we want to see saved in, our, in, in, in God's kingdom. Children, grandchildren, parents, siblings. And do we pray and say, well, Lord, you know, if, if you can, if there's anything that you can do for my, for my grandson or my daughter, if you, know, if you wouldn't mind. No, no, don't pray like that. Say, God, God, you have said, I will contend with those who contend with me and I will save your children. That's your word, Lord. And I'm, I'm taking that to the bank, right? God has said it. That <clears throat> Brother Hal Steenson used to say one time, well, some, well, people say, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And I remember Brother Steenson said, God said it, and it doesn't matter whether I believe it or not, that settles it. God said it, and I believe it to be so, right? Whether I believe it or not is irrelevant. God said it, and it is so. Praise the Lord. And we have a second conclusion for what we just read, and then it is this. Dead men and women do not shun correction from God. Are you happy whenever you come to church and the pastor Loma Kane preaches some sermon and you go out with stinging toes? Because that happens, right? It happens with everybody. When Sister Shelley is up here, when Brother Ryan is up here, when Brother James Rafferty is up here, whoever, sometimes we walk away with stinging toes and we should say, thank you, God, for showing me my inadequacies and showing me the, 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 the places in, the, in, in my life that need to be corrected and brought into your will. And everything that we have studied, this is our last one. Everything that we have gone through leads up to this. Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. Jesus speaking in the garden of Gethsemane just before his trying hour would come and he prayed this prayer. Father, If it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. As I contemplated this passage, the Lord brought to mind a beautiful prayer that is found in the book Steps to Christ on page 70, and it says this. Consecrate yourself to God in the morning. Make this your very first work. Let your prayer be, take me, O Lord, as wholly thine. I lay all my plans at thy feet. Use me today in thy service. Abide with me and let all my work be wrought in thee.
Do you do that every morning? Do you go to your knees in prayer each morning and say, God, I, I, I let my plans, I take them up or give them up as you see fit, right? Our conclusion is this. Dead men and women have no will of their own. They have adopted God's will for their lives. I'll tag there on to the end. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Things happen in our lives sometimes we're not happy with. Things that are brought into our lives to bring us into alignment with God's word. Are we able to, by faith, pray that prayer? Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. My wife and I have prayed that a number of times in various circumstances. And God always makes his will known when you are dedicated and when you are listening and, 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 and wanting him to work in your lives. Heavenly Father, I, I just, no, I, I just want to say, Heavenly Father, we want to die to self each day. I hope that you want to die to self every day. And all I've tried to do is just give you a start, a, 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 a starting place. What it means to die to self. What it means to live for Christ. Let Christ live in you. And it is, as we said, a work that must be done every day, every moment. I'm going to invite the praise team to come out. And our closing song will be hymn number 570, Not I, But Christ. Please stand with us as we sing 570, Not I, But Christ.
Heavenly Father, help us to take these words to heart this week and to truly crucify ourselves and let you live in and through us. Help us to exercise the dying of self and living unto Christ. And help us, Father, as we go from this place today and interact with people in the next coming week, help us, Lord, to exemplify what it means to truly be dead to self and it'll be allowing Jesus Christ to live in us. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer. And until we meet again, I leave you with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.